What's going on, everybody? Another edition of the Passball Show brought to you by JohnPielli.com, by St. Aloysius Church in Jackson, New Jersey, by Two Ways, One Passion Food Truck, located in Scranton, Pennsylvania. If you saw the title of the program, whether it's Facebook Live, YouTube, you, you know what you're about to hear. We're going to talk about some of the lazier baseball fan takes as they exist in the world of sports. Uh, obviously, they could be attributed to other sports, football, basketball, but um, you think of a couple different things. Number one, uh, a team that is succeeding, having success in Major League Baseball, about to get to the playoffs, you're going to find fans are going to spend less time complaining. And that's usually kind of fits it. Your team's doing good. There's really less, less to bitch and complain about. Things are going marginal. You're going to see a handful of complaints. You know, the normal complaints directed at Major League Baseball managers basically allowing that fan or exposing that fan for their lack of an understanding of how the Major League Baseball manager position has changed over the years. And that's what happens. Hey, something goes bad, you blame the manager because you really don't know what else to say. You don't know what other intelligent part of a conversation you could bring to the given table. You blame a baseball manager is basically your declaration that you don't know shit about baseball. And it's fine. You know, you're not you're not the only person to ever do that. You're not the only person that doesn't know anything about baseball. And it's fine. That being said, you know, there's other lazy takes you have. And like I said, outside of the hundred other reasons which are obvious and basically make the statement that you don't understand it or you're just trying to get by it to get to the next level. You want to move on to the next subject. You want to just say, hey, I'm covering my baseball team. My baseball team's either mediocre or they aren't very good. Uh, The other fans out there are going to believe that I know what I'm talking about because I mentioned the Major League Baseball manager. It actually has the inverse effect. I know that you're that kind of fan. You're fair weather. You obviously haven't paid attention to the baseball, the way baseball has worked over the past 20 years. And you realize that everything, all the direction that the manager is given is given to him from the front office. You don't want to blame the player because you love that player, which I'm going to talk about the baseball players in a little bit. But you want to blame somebody, it's easier to blame the manager. Manager, he's just standing there. He's implementing the plan that's given to him by the front office and the analytics staff. His job, yeah, is to keep composure, keep the players motivated. If you're not going to managers, the players don't look, you know, look like they don't give a shit, that's different. You can blame a manager for that. If it seems like a team is lethargic, lethargic, doesn't care about playing baseball, seems to not worry one way or the other about whether they win or lose, yeah, you can put that on the manager. But in-game decisions, this thought about in-game decisions, you want to really talk about your lack of baseball knowledge or understanding? Talk about managers' in-game decisions. And when you're bringing that up, let me know exactly, 100%, unequivocally, how many of these quote-unquote in-game decisions are actually decisions made by the manager. There's coaches in a given dugout sitting 
next to a Major League Baseball manager that have more control over in-game decisions than a manager. The manager's the his job is to just put push the buttons, follow instructions. Most of it's coming from the clubhouse. Most of it's coming from the front office. Some of it's even coming from the bench. The pitching coach is in coordinates with the pitching coordinator. And they know the order of the pitchers that are going to be used in a given game. They don't know how long the starter is going to last. He could get knocked out in the first inning. But there's a contingency plan there. All right, if the pitcher gets knocked out in the first inning or the first four innings, you're going to go to this guy as the long man. The relievers are going to be based off of health. You're coordinating with the training staff. Hey, so-and-so pitched yesterday. He's unavailable today. We're going to go to this pitcher and this pitcher and these high-leverage spots because of availability and health. It's not that manager pushing the right buttons, but you think it is. I don't want to get into that, but that's one of the lazier takes that exist. That baseball fan that doesn't like the way their team's going and you automatically go and blame the manager is an indictment on yourself as a baseball fan. You don't know what you're talking about. Another lazy baseball fan take, and he's usually come, like I said, when the season has gone awry, things aren't going well. As the season's going on, your expectations of what you thought was going to be a big season turn out to be the exact opposite. And because of that, you're looking for something else to kind of be motivated about. Maybe you're not so excited about your favorite football team or basketball team. And because of that, you're going to start talking about younger players, prospects, the future. Since the present isn't going to bring you anything as a baseball fan, you think about the future. And all of a sudden, you're going to start overhyping those that are ranked in regards to prospects as number one and two and the top ten. And obviously, because of the extra attention that's paid to the minor leagues now, you're going to start to research the players that are have never played in the major leagues yet. And you're going to give them a lot more future value than they deserve. Most of these players are in the minor leagues, yes. Some of them, it's not their time. Some of them are going to be part of the future. But the majority of them are going to remain in the minor leagues. In fact, those that end up making it to the major leagues, most of them aren't going to do very much. But you tend when things aren't going well as a baseball fan. Season's over. You're 500 now. The teams that are in the wild card in the division race are 10 games ahead of you now. You got a losing record. You're 20, 30 games over 500. What else is there to think about but the future? So that by itself is not a lazy take. But when you start overanalyzing your minor league players, basically saying you want every player that's on your roster in a major league baseball game off and replaced with guys that you haven't seen before. You know why you feel that way? You feel that way because you've never seen those players play. The players you've seen at the major league level have delivered the results that they're delivering for you. You hope that somebody that hasn't played on the field yet can somehow bring better results. Usually it doesn't happen. Like I said, lazy baseball take. Next thing, booing. Fans boo players. Even in the greatest of baseball cities where they seem to be the most player-friendly, players get booed. And mostly players get booed. Hey, bases loaded, down one run in the ninth, swing and miss, on a pitch out of the strike zone for strike three, game's over. 
your natural reaction as a baseball fan is to be disenchanted. Your natural reaction as a baseball fan is to be disappointed. You know, you think, you know, you want to get better results. It just doesn't happen, unfortunately. And I think about it because booing in certain markets are a little more prominent than others. Booing of players happen more regularly in places like New York and Boston and Philadelphia and less out on the West Coast in places like Los Angeles and San Francisco. Obviously, it doesn't happen very much at all in the the middle part of the country, St. Louis, Chicago, you may you may see some boos here and there, depending on the player. But the reason I bring this up is I'm wondering, and I, I want some input from you as the, the listener and the viewer, what's the criteria for booing a baseball player of your own team? Naturally, you're going to want to boo the opposition, the big star on the other team, the villain, the heel, right? That comes in playing from whatever your rival is, you're going to naturally boo them when they come to the plate. You're naturally going to boo them when you're in the field. You want to do what you can as a fan to try to impact them and their performance. And I don't think there's many people that are going to fight you over booing the opposition. But I think there's a fine line when it comes to booing your own players. The players that put on the uniform of that team that you wear when you go to games. The players that support and are trying to get results for you as the fan because you root for that given team. Are there instances where booing is more acceptable of the players that you root for? I think there is. I think if there is a player that is acting out, embarrassing themselves, embarrassing your team, um, in a couple minutes we're going to talk about you know, the right to work when it comes to players that are facing scandal or facing uh, criminal prosecution. But there's certain players that are in that situation. They end up coming back. You may not agree personally with what they did. You're against sexual uh, you know, harassment or domestic violence, which you should be. You're not going to necessarily... Uh, think too positively about a player that has gone through anything in regards to that and comes back on a field that is wearing your favorite team's uniforms. But where else does it apply? A player makes an error. A player uh, as a shortstop, let's say, has a hard time throwing a ball to first base. A uh, second baseman can't catch a ball. They're going through the, the yips, per se. Um, you know, the catcher that's in a slump, he's one for his last 60. How far does that go before that player comes up? You say, hey, I've given him every last bit of support that I possibly can as a fan, and they're letting me down. So let me just let them have it when their name is announced coming to the plate. Like I said, different regions, New York, Philadelphia, Boston, even a little bit of Chicago, is going to boo their own players that aren't putting up good numbers. I don't believe in that. I don't think that's the right way. If you're a fan, you want to support your players. You want to support them thick and thin. The easiest thing to do is support your favorite team when they're winning. When they're on a 10-game winning streak, everything seems to be going right. You could hide a lot. You could hide the error in the field, the base running blunder, the strikeouts with the bases loaded, as long as your favorite team's winning. You know, a team, a player on a team could go zero for 50, but you win 10 games in a row, nobody's going to care. 
The player makes an error in a big spot that costs you a game. Player's up with the bases loaded. You, your team can't score in a situation like that. Yes, those are instances, hey, your reaction is, man, ah, oh, darn. And you can boo. Boo the player as they're walking off the field. They didn't get the job done in a big spot. But what I'm talking about is when that player is announced coming up to the plate. Nobody on base, top of the third inning. It's it's not good. It doesn't speak well of the fan that boos that player. You want to cheer that player on, especially if they're in a big slump. Like I said, you don't like them as a person. Maybe it's something that they've done outside of their baseball career. You got the right to not cheer for certain players on your own team. All those things are legitimate. But I'll tell you, and I've said this, and I'll say it again. That fan that consistently boos the players on their own team is a lousy fan. And they should look at themselves in the mirror and try to question why they root for the team that they root for. They can say the hundreds of different reasons of why we're all taking over as sports fans. We can't get out of our own fandom, right? It's kind of hard to do. I say, hey, I'm a New York Mets fan. You know, the team might be on their way to 90 losses. I'm not going to ever not be a Mets fan and root for another baseball team. If you are a fan of any team, you could be the fan of the worst teams in baseball right now, the Orioles, the Diamondbacks. Things don't look very well for them for the future. The Pittsburgh Pirates are on a full-scale, long-term rebuild. If you were born and raised as a fan, if you made that commitment to be a fan, you're not backing away anytime soon. And I get your frustration. And maybe the players that you have aren't going to be part of the future. They're not the players that you're going to win with down the road. But if you're you're at a game, you really should, as a fan, encourage the players that you got. Because even if they might not win a World Series, even if they might not make the playoffs, that encouragement could help them succeed in that moment. And if they succeed in that moment, that could put that team in a better position to win that individual game. And if you're at a game in person... Regardless of the place in the standings, I'm sure you'd be a lot happier seeing that team win than that team lose. It'd be a nice ride home, whether you live right down the road, whether you are two hours away, whether you're taking mass transit. You made a decision to go to that game, whether that team's a winning team or a losing team. And encouraging those players, whatever players are on that team, whatever players wear the uniform that you as a fan wear yourself be nice to encourage those players and like I said said, as you walk home as you head home in any way be nice if that team won as opposed to that team losing it doesn't mean they have to win the World Series but it's nice to encourage the players that you root for so continuing the segue I'm throwing it right out there Trevor Bauer, Marzello Zuna. We're going to talk about this. You as the fan, as a baseball fan, may be disenchanted hearing those names. If you're a fan of the Dodgers, you've probably washed your hands with Trevor Bauer by now. If you're a fan of the Atlanta Braves, 
You're probably not thinking about Marzello Zuna as the team has gotten itself back into first place, right? So where do you go as a sports fan, as a baseball fan, if you are rooting for a team that has a player that is caught in scandal? Whether you're talking about domestic violence, like Marzello Zuna, if you're talking about potentially rape or some serious sexual assault, as Trevor Bauer has been accused of. Now, in the end, I believe the court of law is more powerful than a court of public opinion. We've seen a change over the last several years. Court of public opinion is going to scar the accused individual even if they're found not guilty. If they're found not guilty in a court of law, they have to deal with the court of public opinion, and that's unfortunate. I'm always going to be in favor of the court of law over the court of public opinion. That being said, every team has had it. If you haven't at some point, there's going to be a player that wears or dons a uniform for your team that is going to have to deal with some serious type of allegations against them. And because of that, you as the fan are going to be torn. You hope, if you're a Dodger fan, in Trevor Bauer's case, that Trevor doesn't wear the Dodgers uniform again. Most people hope, if you're a fan of the Atlanta Braves, that Marzell Ozuna doesn't wear a Braves uniform again. Both players you know are under contract for multiple seasons. I believe, and I'm throwing this right out there, I'm not going to you know, mince words, if Trevor Bauer, if Marzell Ozuna, and or are found not guilty in a court of law, are not found guilty of the crimes that they've been accused of, they have every right to go back and play baseball for their teams. They're employees. Yes, they're public figures, but they shouldn't be treated any differently than any employee out there in the country. Like I said, John Q, whatever, does whatever for a living, and there's no question we're talking about heinous allegations against both of these players. But John Q. employee is accused of the same thing. He's given Because he's not in the general public, most people not connected to their family or their friends or their job or are acquaintances of John Q. employee aren't going to know. That person has the right to representation, legal representation by a lawyer. They have a right to a trial by a judge and a jury. They have the right to plead not guilty, defend themselves. They are innocent until proven guilty. And if they're found not guilty, they have the right to work and go back to their job like they did before they were accused. We want to view athletes. We want to view people in the general public differently. Trevor Bauer, because of what he was accused of, regardless of the facts, regardless of what ended up happening, regardless of where it stands to where he 
has to face these charges and whether he's found guilty or not guilty, the court of public opinion does not want him to work again. The general public does not want Marzello Zuna to work again, regardless of what happened. Even if what's accused did not happen. What if he, even if he's found not guilty in the court of law, the general public does not want him to work again. And I don't think there's enough people that have the balls, the confidence to go after this because they're worried about the attacks that are going to come against them. I'm not afraid. And I haven't said anything wrong here. I haven't said that Trevor Bauer is guilty or not guilty. I haven't said that Marzello Zuna is guilty or not guilty. But until they are found in a court of law one way or the other, they should be considered innocent until proven guilty. And if they are found not guilty, they should be expected to play baseball again. Major League Baseball has a personal conduct policy. There's a domestic violence thing that's involved. Baseball has the right to enact a suspension, however long they deem necessary. And once that suspension is put into place, assuming, like I said, I'm saying that these men are found not guilty. Now, if they're found guilty, it's a different story. If they're found guilty, then you know what? They have to serve whatever the penalty is, whether it's a fine, likely a jail sentence. They're not going to be eligible until they are released from prison. And then after that, baseball, or any other entity, by the way, if you're an actor, if you're, uh, you know, whatever, whatever you do for a living, has the right to enact some sort of penalty against you, they can't take your job away. You have the right to work. Ray Carruth conspired to kill his girlfriend, was found guilty, went to jail. He comes out of jail. He's got the right to work. Michael Vick, as heinous of a crime as he was part of committing, served his time, came back and played in the National Football League. I'm sure there were fans that were pissed off. I'm sure there was animal rights activists that wondered how Mike Vick could work again, but he had the right to work. And like I said, I don't care how you feel about the individual things, but you're talking about a player in Mike Vick that committed the crime, was found guilty of what he was accused of, was sent to prison, and when he came back, was out of prison, had the right to work, and play in the National Football League again. The same should apply to Trevor Bauer, whether he's guilty or not guilty. The same should apply to Marzell Ozuna, whether he is guilty or not guilty. This is the Passball Show brought to you by JohnPLA.com, by St. Aloysius Church in Jackson, New Jersey, by Two Ways, One Passion Food Truck, located in Scranton, Pennsylvania. You can check out the podcast if you're watching it on YouTube or Facebook right now. Passball shows available on Apple Music, Spotify, Amazon Music, uh, multi-different uh, resources. Pretty much anywhere you go, type in Passball Show, you can find any of the 500 or so shows that I've done. I was thinking about 
the Atlanta Falcons signing Josh Rosen. And obviously he was signed because A.J. McCarron ends up having an ACL injury. He's going to be out for the year. Probably tough if you look at the Falcons quarterback situation. Matt Ryan has been one of the more durable, durable quarterbacks in the National Football League for the past decade. He doesn't get hurt. Now, I hope I'm not jinxing it. But backing up, Matt Ryan probably isn't going to get you a whole lot of PT. But I started to think about Josh Rosen's run from being the 10th overall pick in the NFL draft three years ago by the Arizona Cardinals. The fourth quarterback taken, taken behind Baker Mayfield, behind Sam Darnold, behind Josh Allen. But I remember Josh Rosen getting up there saying, hey, there's going to be nine teams that are going to regret not drafting me. Now, since then, he's moved on from Arizona to Miami, from Miami to San Francisco. Actually, prior to San Francisco, Tampa Bay's practice squad. So from there to San Francisco, and obviously, uh, after being cut by the 49ers in training camp this year, is now, looks like he's got a good chance of being a backup quarterback for the Atlanta Falcons. And you're talking about a guy, like I said, the same draft as Baker, the same draft as Josh Allen, the same draft as Sam Darnold, the same draft as Lamar Jackson. All those guys have gotten a ton of an opportunity to play. Jackson's become a star. Allen's become more than a star. Baker has become the best quarterback the Cleveland Browns have had. Maybe, I don't know, you want to say since Otto Graham? All right, man, maybe, maybe since Vinny Testaverde, maybe since Bernie Kosar. Browns haven't had a lot of big-time quarterbacks. Otto Graham was the best that they still, they've had in their history. And Josh Rosen hasn't played much. And listen, Josh Rosen went through an unfortunate situation, probably the worst thing that could happen to a quarterback outside of getting hurt. And you've seen great quarterbacks come into this league, get hurt, and never become what they're expected to. Josh Rosen goes to Arizona, gets an opportunity to play. Bad coaching system in there. Steve Wilkes, it doesn't work after one year. You figure a quarterback starts the same year as the head coach. At least they're going to have a couple years to work together. The worst thing that could have happened was Arizona, the Cardinals, the whole thing, falling completely on its face, going 1-15. Nobody expected that. In fact, it was so bad that the Cardinals made the decision to move on from Steve Wilkes. Out is Steve Wilkes. Out is his coaching staff. Cliff Kingsbury comes in. And not only that, but the Cardinals were the worst team in the NFL, which gave them the number one overall pick in the next year's draft. Who's the best player in the draft? Without a doubt, it's the quarterback, Kyler Murray, out of Oklahoma. You're going to trade that pick? If you're going to trade it, you better believe in Josh Rosen. And Josh Rosen, probably for minimal fault of his own, some fault, but minimal fault of his own, didn't give you the impression, didn't give the Cardinals, the NFL, and those that follow the NFL, the impression that he was going to be a star quarterback. Now, listen, neither did Troy Aikman after his first year, neither did Peyton Manning after his first year, but I think there was enough belief that these guys were going to get more of a chance You know, imagine Troy Aikman in Dallas if things just went terrible. Now, they went 1-15 that first year. So, him and Troy Aikman have that in common. But, 
You, know, you think of the Cowboys who went 1-15. What if Jerry Jones had had it with Jimmy Johnson? What if Jerry Jones thought this team wasn't going in the right direction, thought he made a mistake when he hired his buddy Jimmy Johnson and ended up parting ways? All of a sudden, another football coach comes in there in Dallas, and they decide that with the number one overall pick, they want they want somebody else. They don't want Troy Aikman. Now, that was unlikely to happen, but that is what happened in Arizona with Josh Rosen. I still believe that there's some talent here. I still believe that the NFL hasn't really seen what Josh Rosen can do. Now, you're looking in year number four right now, which you, as I keep mentioning, the other four quarterbacks that were taken in the same draft as him, Baker and Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson and Sam Darnold. Now, Sam Darnold gets a new start, a fresh start with Carolina. You probably get a better idea of what those guys are. Now, listen, you probably find out a little more about Darnold this year. Different team, different system. Fresh start. You know what Allen is. Allen's a friggin' star. Lamar Jackson has won an MVP. Baker is leading the Browns to the playoffs when nobody else could seem to do that. We'll figure out what Darnold is this year. We may not figure out what Josh Rosen is this year. And... The reason that I think it's worth it to do a whole segment and dedicate it to Josh Rosen is because I think some years are going to go by before we figure out enough about Josh Rosen. If Matt Ryan starts and plays all 16 games this year with Josh Rosen holding a clipboard, we still don't really know. I mean, I put a lot on Josh Rosen to make sure he studies game film. Make sure he learns the Atlanta offense inside and out. And he's ready on a dime to come in and make plays. He might not get that much of a chance. And it's crazy because I think if you went back three years ago or four years ago to that draft, how many teams would have replaced their starting quarterback with Josh Rosen? And all he was was a highly rated quarterback coming out of UCLA. They would have given him a chance. And I've spoken at nauseam on this program about the lack of depth when it comes to the quarterback position in a National Football League. You're going to have four games into the season. You're going to have halfway through the season. How many teams are going to have some, and I don't mean to, I don't mean it as harsh when I say the word bum, but you understand what I'm saying. A non-star quarterback playing the position for the second half of this coming pro football season. And when you have that, that means every quarterback that's not playing should be compared to you. You've heard me bring Kaepernick's name into the mix. I mean, that ship is probably sailing now. I I still don't think it's right. I think Colin Kaepernick should have been offered a contract by any one of the 32 National Football League teams by now. How many training camps have come by to say that it wasn't worth it to just see him play a couple preseason games? And if he can't play, if he doesn't show you enough, you just cut him. Forget the sideshow. But I'm done talking about Kaepernick. I think, you know, it's it's been exposed for how wrong it is for just a guy that spoke up to basically be blackballed from the league. You know, Barry Bonds 
use steroids, gets let go after the 2007 season by the San Francisco Giants. Nobody signs him. It's not a coincidence. There was collusion involved. There's collusion involved in the National Football League when it comes to Colin Kaepernick. But Josh Rosen should look at every single opportunity that exists, every single team with a non-star quarterback, every single team that's star quarterback gets hurt over the course of this coming football season. Dak Prescott got hurt last year. You think Josh Rosen could have outperformed Andy Dalton? By the way, Andy Dalton, week one, Chicago Bears is their starting quarterback. He's their starting quarterback over... Justin Fields. He's their starting quarterback over Nick Foles. Andy Dalton didn't play that well last year. Andy Dalton's been a good veteran quarterback, was good with the Bengals for a while, led them to the playoffs a couple times. Can Josh Rosen be better than Andy Dalton? And the question right now, I'm going to tell you, is there's no way to know that. You saw Josh Rosen play with the Arizona Cardinals on a beleaguered and very bad Arizona Cardinals team. Probably one of the worst rosters, worst coaching staffs, worst run organizations in a given year that we've seen in a long time. I don't know how you come out of that season saying that Josh Rosen can't play. Nelson. The circumstances were as unique as they were. As unique of circumstances that you were ever going to come across. 1-15, in 15, worst record in the league, number one draft pick. The organization is cleaning house. How do you not draft Kyler Murray in that spot? And that's why it's understandable how Rosen ends up being out there. Would have been tough to see Rosen play second fiddle to Kyler Murray. So I understand the trade to Miami. Now the Miami situation is interesting too because you're basically looking at a situation that up until two years ago, the Dolphins were tanking for Tua. The Dolphins were moving on from all their veteran players, from all their talented players, were expecting to be one of the worst teams in the NFL and were hoping to get the number one overall pick. And if they got the number one overall pick, they were gonna take Tua Tagliavoa the star quarterback for the University of Alabama. And guess what? Brian Flores takes over as head coach. He instills a philosophy where the players play hard. They give it their all. They compete. They win some games that, you know, John Q football fan wasn't expecting them to win. All of a sudden, they don't have the number one overall pick. The Cincinnati Bengals do. They win some games. They end up with the sixth overall pick. And things still work out their way. They get to it anyway. But prior to that, Josh Rosen is playing with Ryan Fitzpatrick. The two of them in tandem as the Dolphins are winning a couple more games than they're expected. And I I still don't think you come out of this season with the Dolphins feeling anything, any way, shape, or form about Josh Rosen. I don't think you think that he is the future. I don't think that you think that he's going to not be part of the answer. He only started three games that year for Miami. So most of those games are on 
Ryan Fitzpatrick. In fact, the six wins are all Ryan Fitzpatrick. As bad as the Arizona Cardinals are, and I, and I stand corrected, they were three and thirteen that year. They weren't one and fifteen. So Troy Aikman and the Cowboys were one in fifteen his first year. Josh Rosen as the quarterback, the starting quarterback of the Arizona Cardinals was three and ten that year. Not a good year. Quarterback rating of sixty six. Completion percentage just over fifty percent. 11 touchdowns, 14 interceptions. There's a lot of quarterbacks that ended up going on to bigger and better things that did worse than Josh Rosen did that first year in Arizona. But I'm focusing on Miami here because the Dolphins, who are looking to take a quarterback in the next year's draft while Josh Rosen's there after they traded for him, they didn't necessarily get to see a ton out of Josh Rosen. His quarterback rating in six games, three as a starter, was 52. That was terrible, but... You're not talking about a lot of PT. And obviously, year three, he spends on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers practice squad, which, by the way, do you give him a Super Bowl rank? I would think not. He was never on the active roster for a given game, right? He ends up being selected off the roster by the San Francisco 49ers, is a backup, sits on the sideline for a couple games. And it gets cut this year in training camp, which would have been the beginning of season four, with the San Francisco 49ers. So you're looking at a, a, a player, very highly touted, star in waiting, coming out of UCLA. A lot of travels in three years. Three years, one, two, three, four. Now year number four starting, it's his fifth different squad. So it'll be the third if he gets in a game this year. Be a third that he he plays for, and this was supposed to be a franchise quarterback coming after the draft. I think it's an easy target. It's easy to knock Josh Rosen and say he is a bust. I don't know if I'm ready to say that yet. But once again, when we talk about the National Football League, they don't have 32 star quarterbacks. They don't have 32 good quarterbacks. They don't have 32 regular starting quarterbacks in this league. Josh Rosen deserves an opportunity. I don't know where he's going to get it. I don't. And if he doesn't play this year, it's going to be tough to say that he's worthy of playing next year. Now, he'll he'll make somebody's roster. Like I said, you know, those couple little uh, garbage time snaps that he gets this year might be important. He goes three for three for 40 yards and a, a touchdown. It might entice the Falcons to keep him next year. It might entice another organization to bring him in next year and have him compete for maybe a starting quarterback job. You know, I think of the guy he's replacing too, A.J. McCarron. A.J. McCarron came out of Alabama, sat in the sidelines behind Andy Dalton with the Cincinnati Bengals for a couple years. Wasn't thought of as a, uh, a star in waiting, but got some exposure in Alabama. You got to see him play. Most football fans, certainly most college football fans, got to see A.J. McCarron. And there was always that intrigue. There was that intrigue where a lot of teams were interested in him. The Raiders, the Bills, of course, this year, the Falcons. The Falcons selected him. They 
picked him up to replace Matt Schaub. And once again, another great reason to talk about Matt Ryan and his durability. Few people even remember that Matt Schaub came back for a second tour of duty as the Falcons backup. Now, A.J. McCarron, you could say, you know, how long goes by before you say, hey, the ship has sailed. There's nothing that's going to happen. You know, Kaepernick, for different reasons, it's probably over now. I'd like to see Colin Kaepernick compete for a, a job. I'd like to see him maybe be signed by a team to be a backup. I'd like to see him play in some preseason games. I want to see Josh Rosen play. A.J. McCarron, ACL injury, he's out for the year, that sucks. I'm not willing to say that Josh Rosen isn't going to be anything in the NFL. I mean, think about Steve Young, and I'm not comparing Josh Rosen to Steve Young, but Steve Young, drafted by Tampa Bay, obviously a Tampa Bay organization that struggled since its inception. And they decide they want to move on. Vinny Testaverde goes there. Steve Young sitting as Joe Montana's backup for one, two, three, four full years. And it wasn't that he wasn't talented. He got a chance to play at a BYU with Tampa Bay. Two and 12 in his second full season, but his first opportunity to play. I think he took over for Doug Williams, right? Or maybe he didn't. I, I'm not sure. I'm going to have to look it up. But, you know, Steve Young getting a chance, not really making the most of it to that point. And if you go back as a fan to that time frame, I want to ask you, because I'm young at that time. I'm um, less than 10 years old, 11 years old, turning 12 and 91 when he's entering what would have been his fifth year as the backup of the San Francisco 49ers. There was a lot of expectation for a player that was selected first round, number one overall in a 1984 supplemental draft. He had to be even more highly touted than Josh Rosen was. And obviously less information about him. Yes, you know, the coverage of the NFL draft, you know, not not just the Mel Kuypers, but all those that, you know, really dig their teeth into the players that are coming up in a draft that wasn't around there in the 80s. But obviously there was enough information about Steve Young that he was going to be that good that he was selected number one overall in the supplemental draft by a bad Tampa Bay Buccaneers team. And they give up on him. After two seasons, 49ers say, hey, there's this guy named Montana. He's probably not going anywhere for a while. And Steve Young sits there as a backup. Finally gets a chance to play when Montana's hurt. And not only makes the most of it, but makes it basically to where when Montana comes back, Two of them can't be on the same team together. And it's nothing personal. Steve Young to perform as well as he did in the 10 games in a 1992 season meant that they had to make a decision. 
It's either Young or Montana. Highest quarterback rating in the NFL. Not only that, but he did it for four years in a row after they made the decision to trade Montana to Kansas City. My point is, it's so easy in the day and age that we live in to mark somebody off as a failure. It's easy in the day and age that we live in to declare somebody a bust. Josh Rosen hasn't gotten much of an opportunity. Steve Young, like I said, after one season starting 14 games for Tampa Bay in 1986, gets traded to the 49ers. It isn't until year five where he gets a chance to play, but when he gets a chance to play, he makes the most of it. That's the part or the onus that's going to be on Josh Rosen. He has to have that hunger. Maybe even backing up his own words when he says, hey, nine teams are going to say they made a mistake by not drafting me. Where the Cardinals took him 10th overall. And he might have to sit. But I look at, like I said, my issue and my only thing is say, hey, is the team that you're playing for right now, do they have a better quarterback unequivocally than Josh Rosen? And if Josh Rosen was brought in there to compete with that quarterback that you have, is that quarterback that much better? You know, I think of Marcus Mariota, you know, where he's sitting right now. You know, there, there shouldn't be a declaration that he's a bust. I mean, Ryan Tannehill, the story there in Tennessee, was a, was a great story. In fact, coming full circle, talking about Miami and Josh Rosen and Tua. You know, the Dolphins made a decision to move on for Ryan Tannehill. He sat behind Marcus Mariota one year. Mariota got hurt. Tannehill got a chance to play, and he proved himself to be every bit what he was expected when he took over as a starting quarterback of the Miami Dolphins. Mariota? Got into one game last year with the Los Angeles Raiders as Derek Carr's backup, which, by the way, Derek Carr played well. It's tough to get some PT when uh, the quarterback that's QB1 is performing. But you wonder, you know, I'm not going to declare Marcus Mariota a bust. He played four, you know, five, almost five full seasons with Tennessee. And he played well. You know, 90-plus rating. He was solid, maybe not a superstar, maybe not a pro bowler. But Mariota got a little bit of a shot, a shot that Josh Rosen hasn't gotten yet. I wouldn't give up on him. Quick recap of the show today if you tune in. I do want to thank everybody for tuning in. The Past Ball Show is brought to you by JohnPLA.com, by St. Aloysius Church, in Jackson, New Jersey, by Two A's One Passion Food Truck, located in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Lazy baseball fan takes. You're gonna keep hearing me harping on this. The overcriticism of the Major League Baseball manager, especially for stuff that he's probably not responsible for. He doesn't write the lineup. He doesn't set the field fielding positioning. You know, with the fielders where they play. The shift doesn't come from the manager. The players' positioning in the outfield doesn't come from the manager. The lineups don't come from the manager. They all come from the front office. 
whatever staff's put in place, whether they're number guys, whether they're player personnel people, that's running your baseball team. In-game decisions. You hear that when a, a manager is criticizing baseball. And you basically might as well say, I don't know shit about baseball. That, that might as well be your statement when you talk about in-game decisions. Because how many of those in-game decisions does a manager really have control over? Sometimes they have control on when to pull the plug on a pitcher. They don't have control over who they bring in. Situation dictates it. Availability dictates it. Health, strength and conditioning dictates what what pitchers are available. Your pitching coordinator, your pitching coach has a lot to say in the order of the pitchers. And I go back to the Yankees playoffs two years ago. Remember the, the bullpen rotation, the bullpen lineup that was set up for the Yankees? Their starting pitcher to Chad Green, to Tommy Canley, to Adam Adovino, to Zach Britton, to Aroldis Chapman. That's called the relief pitching lineup. Aaron Boone had nothing to do with that. If you don't get that, I don't know what to tell you. The other lazy take, you want to see younger players. Teams aren't, your team's not good. Let's study the minor league system because everybody that's playing in the minor leagues now, especially every young player that has never played in the major leagues, is automatically better than the players that play for your team. Lazy baseball take. Lazy baseball fan take. Booing. You boo your own players. If you do, I'm not judging you for it, but why do you boo it? When do you boo them? Do you boo them when they come up to a plate in a big spot? Bases loaded, nobody out. You're down on a player. You get a boo him when his name's announced over the loudspeaker. Kind of doesn't seem like uh, the right thing to do. You'd probably want to encourage them. Even if the season's gone away, you're there in a game in person. You probably want to encourage the players that are there, right? Your players, you want to root for them to win. May not win the, may not make it to the playoffs, may not win a World Series, but it's kind of nice when you go home from a game you were at and your team won. You might want to encourage your players a little bit. Not not big on booing players. Booing in game emotionally is different. I don't know how you feel. You boo a player in a in a big spot. Hey, bases loaded, two outs, down by two runs in the eighth inning. They uh, pop the first pitch up. There's that disappointment. Oh, man. And then that moves a little bit further. And you say, oh, damn, I'm ticked off. I'm mad. I'm angry. And then you may boo in that spot. I don't have any problem with that. Bases loaded, two outs. That player comes up. Game on the line. If you root for that given team, you sure as hell should be rooting for that player to succeed. Spoke about Bauer, spoke about Ozuna. They have the right to represent themselves. They have the right to a trial in regards to a judge and a jury. They have the right to be presumed innocent until proven guilty. And if they are, they face whatever sanctions or whatever penalty Major League Baseball wants to throw at them in regards to personal conduct. I don't I, listen. If you have the opposite take of me, I'm telling you, you're wrong here. They have the right to work. 
if Mike Vick can be convicted, sentenced, and have to serve time in prison and have a job waiting for him in the NFL when he comes back, Trevor Bauer, Marzell Ozuna can be found guilty, serve a sentence, face whatever penalty is issued or thrown or suspension that's thrown their way from Major League Baseball, they deserve the right to work once they are reinstated. And I don't care how against anything you did is. I don't care how heinous of what they've done is. Ray Carruth, like I said, a convicted murderer. If he was young enough when he was freed from his prison sentence, if a team was willing and able to sign him, he would have the right to play. Plaxico Burris. Listen, what he did wasn't a heinous crime. It was more foolish. Shouldn't have brought the, the gun into the club. It went off. He shot himself. Did more harm to himself. Did have to serve time in prison. But there was a job waiting for him when he came back. And you, as John Q. Public, could commit any one of these crimes. And after you're convicted, after you serve your time, odds are your own remedial job is waiting there for you when you come out. Spoke about Josh Rosen. I think there should be some belief and faith that if he's given an opportunity, he may succeed in the NFL. I don't know. Like I said, I'm always down on the depth when it comes to the amount of really good quarterbacks that exist in a National Football League. I wouldn't rule Josh Rosen out. I don't know if there's an opportunity in Atlanta. Matt Ryan is probably the most durable quarterback in the National Football League right now. Plays year in, year out. A.J. McCarron, ACL list. He's done for the year. I wouldn't give up on Josh Rosen just yet. As always, I want to thank everybody for tuning in to the Passball Show. If you're watching on video, you can check out the podcast available on Apple Music, Spotify, Amazon Music. We'll be back with you next week. God bless you. And as always, I'll see you on the other side.